We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk some L.A. Clippers and Phoenix Suns. The L.A. Clippers survived tonight in unlikely circumstances with a double-digit win on the road to pull out Game 5 to bring the series to 3-2. to two. And from a Laker fan perspective, there are, you know, complicated emotions tied up in that. Paul George goes for 30 in the second half, right? I think he's not like he shot just a ridiculous percentage in the second half. And this is something I've been thinking about lately in watching these playoffs, guys, is that I have two loyalties when it comes to basketball. One is to the Lakers, obviously, right? And that's that's my team through which I I identify with and have since birth when it comes to the sport of basketball. But my other loyalty is to the actual sport of basketball where I can have fun at a nine and under game, right? Like I can have fun at a high school game at a JV high school game. That's a division four type level game where there's something just about the sport that is really attractive to me. And it's such a big part of my life that I've realized that I've developed a certain set of principles around that with respect to both being a Laker, but also the sport of basketball, right? In terms of what I believe in, how I think the game should be played I, there. And it, it's not to say it's right or it's wrong. It's just what I believe. And it's what's been formed over my experience with basketball over a lifetime. And so that brings me to the Clippers. And I've been trying to find a way to articulate this as well as I possibly can. I respect that team that, that's on the court, the team that won this game five. And I've respected that team for most of this year. If I didn't respect them, I would be cackling like a hyena when they lose, as I did last year. If you ever heard the clip of me, Anthony, and Harrison right after they lost and blew the 3-1 lead to Denver. So if I felt the Clippers were worthy of being laughed at, I have no problem doing that. But relating back to the Lakers, I don't like how we went out after AD got hurt. It's one thing to lose when you're shorthanded, when you don't have enough talent, right? It's another thing to be down by 30 at halftime. Because he kind of packed it up and like, we're moving on, right? And that's exactly what the Clippers could have done in this game five. Not only is Kawhi out and it's a 3-1 series lead, 
They're on the road in Phoenix. Ivica Zubac, who's not a star player by any means, but Zu was had the best plus minus in the series of any player. He had been a he had been a real positive. He's ruled out with the knee injury as well. Would have been very easy, Darius, for them to be able to to just say, "Hey, you know what? One, two, three, Cancun." If you don't know the Cancun story, that's well, that's another time. That that goes back to a, a Van Exel story in the late '90s. But they could have very easily checked out of that game, but they didn't. And so, from my basketball loyalties, not my Lakers loyalties, but from my basketball loyalties of what I think a good basketball team is on any level. I respect them. I just want to say that. No, I, I mean, the the Clippers are a good basketball team. They're they're resilient. They're a team that I think that all three of us on this pod have, I think, have showed a lot of respect for the entire season, right? And I think the thing that you're really speaking to, Pete, and Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that I think even dating back to last year, we all had a respect for the Clippers' talent level and sort of what Mm -hmm. their ceiling was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this year, Mike, and I don't even want to say that I'm surprised by this because I think over the last four to six months or so, whenever the Clippers have come up, like we'll get our jokes off or whatever, right? Because – it's always fun to get some jokes off now now and then but but for the most part it's been sort of like yeah the clippers they're a team that concerns right like they concern me as as a lakers fan and the resiliency that i think that they've shown this year is somewhat new when you compare them to sort of last year's duration and Pete, I would I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like some of the res- that that s- segment that you just had right now about sort of respecting them and, and I would bet a lot of it relates back to that idea of they're going to show up and compete each night. That's right. And and I think these playoffs, Mike, that has been probably the most their biggest quality as a team these playoffs has been that which is considering how they went out last last playoffs it is quite the 180 for them i think you've always looked at the clippers as the team that could give them the most issues and you were sort of not as high on utah you were high on Phoenix, but probably had them still slotted below the Lakers and the Clippers for sure. And, and and so what is it that you're seeing from them? And and did this game five win surprise you? So this specific game didn't surprise me. Uh, we were I was discussing this on Green Room. Actually, we did a little pregame thing with Golliver uh, and our boy Larsoul jumped in. And I thought that the Clippers, as good as Zubats was the last couple of games, especially I thought his absence was going to help them in it, force them to play what their best lineup has been throughout the season, throughout the postseason. And that's the small ball group that switches at least enough to neutralize the screen roll. They did it against Utah and Utah didn't have an answer. Um, they did it again tonight. I thought there were some pockets where Aiden could have been more aggressive, but still like they don't, that's not really how they play. You know, it, it's, and so the style that the Clippers went to was going to be conducive to them playing well because they have done it well in the postseason. And Phoenix was kind of got sucked into that game a little bit. And 
they definitely deserve credit for the way that they play hard. But Phoenix has been that team that plays that way all year, too. So it's not like they're, they caught them because they came and kind of brought their energy. I thought this was just more of a, a pure basketball matchup thing. And then Phoenix did get a little tight in that in that game. And, and I, I think we did learn something, though. Take the Clippers out of it. Like, you can't lose game five at home if you're an elite playoff team. And that's that's the game that teams always win with that home court. And uh, I just but I don't think it was a surprise based on how we how the matchups were going to dictate the Clippers were going to be able to play a certain way that they've really had a lot of success with and against teams that don't have a small ball buster like LeBron or like AD. Phoenix doesn't have that player. Uh, Neither did Utah and Dallas did to an extent with Luka, but didn't have enough help. But throughout this series, Phoenix has busted up the Clippers small ball lineup. That's why zoo has the best plus minus of a player in the series, at least up until this game is because he had been like, he had worked quite a bit and their small ball hadn't because Aiton was able to beat it quite a bit. For me, this was a game that was so much about mentality. Like look at how it started. So yes, Phoenix has been that team that's come out and played hard and, and given their bet, but every team is prone to, letting their sense of urgency or desperation or appropriate fear drop. And so you put yourself in Phoenix's shoes. You're up 3-1. You're coming home to a crowd that loves you and that's been going nuts this whole postseason. You've only lost one game at home to the Lakers in game two of that first series. And you've you have this team, right? Like that game four win going up 3-1 like that is like, all right, we got this. This isn't, which isn't to say that you do in fact have this, but there is a natural mental letdown of like, oh, and now Zubats is out. And and to me, it speaks to how the game started. It was like 20 to five, Mike, like right when it started, which yes, you can, we can argue matchups and whatnot, but when it starts like that, it's usually because one team's ready and the other team is not. Yeah, that that that's definitely true. But I think that if you look at earlier in the season, uh, the series itself, it's to me less about matchups and plus minus and Zubats. I know that's been a talking point lately. I don't think that's because, you know, the they found the answer um, to that specific type of scheme. I think that part in its own right is that the Clippers had uh, like the Clippers got a mental boost when Chris Paul returned, even though he then didn't look like Chris Paul. And then Devin Booker breaks his nose, and he hasn't been the same since then. The way that Beverly's have been able to be physical, and he's all of a sudden come on, it's just been it's been an up and down series like that for me, where I'm not just looking at the numbers and thinking like, okay, yeah, the the small Aiden is is the answer to attacking small ball. I just think that eventually the Clippers are they're going to get to the point where they do play their best in this way, and so maybe maybe part of that goes into the fact that they had at this point nothing to lose. Right. They could kind of play free. They could play a little easier. And Phoenix was a little tight. And that to me is what uh, Pete started the, the first part of the game. But it, so it's weird. I'm not I'm not really disagreeing with your point there. I'm just saying that I don't know if it's if it's I think that all of these other emotional factors come into play there, too. And for it sure, just, I, you know, but I but you're like, you're right, especially the way they started. That was more of a punch you in the mouth. Um, and then can you respond to it? But I didn't think they could go back to some of that bread and butter stuff um, that had worked against the Clippers when they were in a different state in the previous game. So Darius, click, put this together for us or for me. No. So I think both of y'all are right within the context of the way that this series is evolving is very much like every other Clippers playoff series has been this season, basically. Like, they were down 0-2 to the Mavs. They were down 0-2 to the Jazz, right? And they were now down 0-2 against the Suns, right? And 
there were circumstances in each of those series that sort of led to them looking that way. But over the course of time, I think Mike's point about the X's and O's stuff has started to shift in the Clippers' favor every single series. And some of it has been injury-related stuff. Like, I'm going to love to hear – I have some thoughts about Chris Paul's return and how that sort of, in a way, hampered the Suns in -hmm. some interesting ways. Like They're a different team with Chris Paul than they are without him. And most – I like campaign campaign injury too, Pete. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because campaign is a different type of guard than Chris Paul is, right? Like it's a different dynamic, different skill set. You know, high scorer can really let it fly from three and – and above all else, in a lot of ways, pushing pace, I think, has been a big storyline within this series. So let's get into the Chris Paul thing here now for a second, because one of the things and I think that this speaks to Mike's point a little bit, Pete, about like the tactical stuff and, and it being like mat, like matchup stuff is mm-hmm. that is Chris Paul, especially with Zubots out So in game four, I thought down the stretch, CP3 did a pretty good job of beating the switch when when he got Zubats on him, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And he did not do that in his first game back. So Chris Paul returned in game three. Zoo had to play more because Aiton was was wrecking small ball, like, like the Clippers small ball lineups. And so Zoo was playing more. And I thought the the Clippers got away with switching Zoo onto Chris Paul and Chris Paul not being able to score or do anything. And I was thinking to myself, if if that holds over the course of the series, the Suns are in trouble because because campaign is mostly going to eat a switch up against a big. He's very much like Schroeder in in that way, except he's even got more of a deadly three-point shot, right? And, and, and so that sort of like jump cut, Barry Sanders, like Dante Hall style that that campaign can play, right? Where he's sort of just jitterbugging all, like, all over the court. That can really beat the switch. But Chris Paul is more deliberate and he was not beating that. Right. Then in game four, I thought he had just enough success down the stretch of game four to beat the switch. So no zoo tonight. All of those switches now are against better, better equipped defenders against him. And I thought one of the things that really bothered the Suns this game was that both in the switching and against like some of the zone stuff that was clogging up the driving lanes that the Clippers were doing, that they could not get into the sort of like blender drive and kick action and pick and roll stuff where they really draw multiple defenders to a certain part of the floor before kick out and swing, swing. And some of that I feel like is like, Hey, Chris Paul, like you got to start to figure some of this stuff out. And I thought particularly he didn't do a great job of being the point God in game five. Yeah. And I think the, to try and bring in the original point to this, that Pete, Pete and I were discussing 
with the Zubat stuff, it's the offense that is really helped by him being out for the Clippers because when they when they're playing this style that they played, uh, just for look sure. at these look at the shot quality that they get, and and that's just tougher. You know, Aiden is better than Gobert in this instance, but he's no Anthony Davis. You know, like, like at that spot, and so they're eventually going to get an open three or some kind of decent look for like for Reggie Jackson or uh, Marcus Morris or Paul George, who finally for, for his career has done a much better job of just attacking the paint. And, and, and he can only do that because Aiden and whoever else has got to be out in rotation running around the floor. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like the, the last Zubats played 39 minutes in that slug fest. And that was fine. Cause it was all slow down, you know, screen roll. He's showing on Chris Paul and it's just like, nobody can make a shot cause there's no space on the floor. And this is the Clipper team that just diced up Utah after they lost the, the first two and won four straight. And the only and this is kind of why I, I was high on the Clippers all along from a talent standpoint. And the one team where they, they had a chance to match up with the Lakers because the Lakers are also the only other team that can do that. Uh, they can really they can go small. And 100 th- percent. And this is Pete to your point about you just made about campaign. In, in the difference between even like having a Chris Paul is that the other way to beat that type of a switching defense is to have the dude that gets to the rim and that you just need one. And their one guy got hurt in campaign because Chris Paul's not doing that. He doesn't want to get all the way to the rim. He can once in a while, but he, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that, that he can keep going to. And this is why I thought like Dennis Schroeder could have been a good antidote to this as well. When, and he was when AD was healthy and when AD was playing aggressive and, and even or just a healthy LeBron. So these are all the reasons why, like as Darius laid out early in this pod, that early in the season, I liked Phoenix a lot, but thought there were going to be those limitations once they got to the Lakers. Same thing with the Clippers and throw Utah into that Phoenix bag. And here we are. Now, what's going to happen for the rest of the series? Uh, we could discuss further because uh, I, I think that's certainly interesting. But I think that tonight's game made more sense maybe than the odds makers uh, would have would have had. No, that's a that's a great way of putting it. And a lot of times you see these come these things coming before they actually happen. And yeah, in a lot of ways, like Phoenix is a really good team, but they're in terms of their level of cal- the caliber of team that they are, it only goes up to a certain point. And other te- the teams that they faced have been missing like Kawhi's averaging 30 some odd points on 55 percent from the field. Like this would be a clear Clippers win if Kawhi played in this series and but that's how it goes, right? So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Paul George's night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I remember a series, the LeBron fans that listen to this, and maybe you guys will be able to help. 2013, uh, I believe it was, may have been 2012 as well. But those Vogel Paul George teams with Roy Hibbert and Lance Stevenson, David West, those squads, they had a series or two against the Heatles that they eventually dropped, but they were really good series, really good playoff basketball. And within that, Paul George had a couple of runs where, and he was a much younger player at that point, where it was like, oh, does this guy have next? Is he? That's one of the fun things about the NBA is that who's the next guy to enter the superstar type of stratosphere? We all know what happened after that. He had the leg injury and the Team USA stuff, and we we know his, uh, you know, his foibles with the Clippers over the last couple of years. That dude scored 30 points in the second half of a game on the road in game five of the Western Conference Finals, and he was getting to the rim, and he was using that nasty step-back dribble where he dribbles it. You know, he plants that front foot and dribbles behind his back, goes right into his pull-up three. And he's an interesting case to me because he's not a superstar player in my eyes, but he's really good, and I feel like we – Almost more than any other type of player, we struggle to quantify and and properly discuss players that are really, really, really good, but not quite great. Um, But tonight he was great, Darius. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on him, even in a broader perspective than just tonight's game. Yeah, so I don't want to like toot my own horn here, but I think throughout the season, I think I've sort of been saying like, hey, Paul George, like he's still really good. Right. And so the the pandemic P stuff and the way off P, like I said, like we all love to get our jokes off and that stuff could be funny. Like, great. Right. Let's let's make some jokes. But one of the reasons why the Clippers are looked at as a threat isn't just because they have Kawhi. It's because they also have Paul George and Pete, the playoffs that you're talk, talking about were the 2013 playoffs. Um the those Vogel led Pacers teams faced off against those Heat teams um, a, a couple of different times in back to back playoffs. So the, they played in 2012 as well, but um, the Heat were clearly superior, um, and Paul George was not quite up to the challenge of LeBron James. The next season he was, and then back in 2017 when George was still with the Pacers and LeBron was back with the Cavs, they had another epic duel in the first round. And Paul George had like, it was another sort of like, Oh, Paul George is ready for this one. And that's sort of where the idea of Paul George being a great player was born from, right? It was that very early on in his career, he went toe to toe with LeBron James and didn't flinch. Like he didn't come out on top, but he was able to defend and he was able to hold his own offensively in a way where you thought, Oh, okay. 
in a league where, as Mike always says, like the the six eight, six nine wing player that is a do it all two way guy. Like George was right in the mold of that, right? And top ten players, mm-hmm. it, it, he's right there. Like you couldn't talk about Paul George. Like those wing conversations, Mike. It was it was LeBron, it was Kawhi, and that and it was Durant, right? And then after that, if the next name that you heard wasn't Paul George, it was gonna be right after like Jimmy Butler, right? Like it was like those were the guys. And and George tonight, I think, showed that he can still be that dude. I it, it's it's interesting though that these performances I feel like have been so much more consistent without Kawhi. And I don't know what it's a that role. says about yeah. And I don't know what that says about Paul George in terms of That's mentality an interesting point. or focus. Or what it is about that, Mike, maybe you have some thoughts about that. But it, ever since Kawhi went down, I feel like George has raised his game another level and has sort of been like, look, all right, like we ain't got Kawhi. Well, I'm just going to go get us 30, right? And, you know, maybe double digit rebounds like six, seven assists. Like I'm just going to be that do it all dude. And, and in a winner go home situation, he was amazing. Like if if you put this stat line on LeBron James or on Kevin Durant or on a player that people like, right, right, uh-huh. they're gonna be fawning over this stat line. Dude missed like four shots in the second half. He basically played right. Like he was yeah. amazing. So this is where, but this is the whole thing with Paul George, and, and he's the reason because everybody already assumes what Kawhi was and kind of gives him credit and everything when they join forces. But George is the reason why I think the three of us, but have always had the Clippers up there from a talent standpoint because Paul George is unimpeachable from a talent standpoint. He can defend right. multiple positions. He's huge. He's got a feathery touch. He can get to the rim when he wants to. Uh, he can hit free throws uh, in in general. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. Handle the ball at his size. Guys that can, can handle the ball. dribble as well as he can at that size are, are not that common. You know, what he's not as good at, though, and, and this is why the, I think this is the reason why he's been better in this role than what he is with Kawhi, is he's not a great creator. Um, he's not a great – like, he. it's not that he can't pass, but that's not instinctual to him. Like, look at tonight's game, for example. Six assists, six turnovers. You know, that's you do not see that very often from LeBron or from Chris Paul or from Luca even. Uh, you know, Luca will get turnovers in other ways, but the, he's always going to have many more assists. And that's been relatively consistent throughout. Like he had he had eight assists um, in game three. He had six turnovers. So that's the one side where where that player has always been there where George has fallen short has been on some of the mental sides uh, of the game. It's, it's the, the not recognizing the must win of last season, right. In the comments after uh, the breakdown, it's the, it's the um, just the general way that he seems to perceive things and then say stuff that bleeds onto the court about his, his style of play. That's the element I think that's been missing from him compared to some of the, those true elite superstars, but he's got the superstar talent and he's put it out there from time to time But guess what happened, guys, in game four? He was five for 20. And I get it. It was a rock fight for everybody, but he was five for 20 from the field, and he missed two free throws. 
uh, in the final minute. Like that's so he to me, this game was a no pressure game, right? They were supposed to lose. And he came in and he balled. And that's not, to, again, to take credit away from him in other situations, but he has not been great in other pressure situations in the last couple of years. And I think, again, part of that is because he and Kawhi both are similar. and They're really talented. They have all kinds of skills, but they're not great creators for the other. And so when it's just one of them and the other one isn't there to take half the shots – then the other one can get like Kawhi could have done the same thing, get into a, a big rhythm, get 45 points, have six assists and six turnovers and also play good defense. So that to me is where they still ultimately fall short compared to where LeBron and AD can play off each other so well. No, I think the mental aspects of the game are are super important. And in many ways with Paul George, what keeps him from getting to that level? One thing I notice with him is he gets flustered. Like he can get flustered and flustered into whether it's the infamous off the corner of the backboard shot, or I forget which game it was. I, I believe it was in Phoenix, and it might have been that game too that ended in the the tip and dunk by Aiton as the game winner. But as they were trying to come back, he made this inbounds pass to I think it was Zoo was in the game. Whoever it was, like had no expectation that the ball was going to yeah, be that was, inbounded that was late to them. In game two. Yep. Right. Late, late it was, in game it two. Was Zubats. It was Zoo like running up the court the other way, and he kind of just nonchalantly just like threw it out and it ended up going out of bounds off of yeah, off of uh uh, Phoenix somewhere. And and there are sometimes where you inbound it to your big just so they can give it back to the ball handler and come up court. But that wasn't that, right? Like Zoo was running up court. He wasn't expecting the pass. And the pass wasn't even right at Zoo. It was in kind of his general direction. And I was just like, what is he doing? Like, what was he going for and trying to? And it ended up being Clippers ball after review in the scramble to, to get it and whatnot. But I thought it was indicative of those moments where and we've seen this with, with our players, Why right? That's part of the mental aspect of basketball is the pressure and the speed of it. Guys can get it in their heads and can start when you feel pressure, Darius, in any aspect of life, your decision making can really start to degrade in ways that does not show up in other places. So I, I think Mike makes a good point in that this was kind of a carefree game for them and there's no like you go out there and you play hard and you lose you hang your head up high nobody's laughing at pandemic p right uh but he went out there under those circumstances and and balled out like you said i mean paul george is going to catch strays regardless of, so, of course so you know, I mean, it's on the, the lower end of that but, spectrum what, yeah well there, to be fair Derek, can i interject one thing though the the reason why he catches strays is because of all those things that have happened yeah. in the past yes. like that that's all. I'm just those those are connected. What I would say too, and maybe this only amplifies Mike's point even more, is that without Kawhi in general, this team is not expected to win. Right? <laughs> so there's a certain amount of freedom that Paul George can play with now anyway. Right? And, and whether like maybe game five is a microcosm of of that idea even more. Right. Like, oh, no one expects us to win. We're without Kawhi. There's no Zubots like we're we're on the road. Right. But in general, I think that that idea of playing loose and free matters. Um, I think it was. It might have been Charles Barkley who made a similar point in one of the playoff series before. Um, and I think he made it about the Clippers, actually, when they were going back to LA for game six against the jazz. And it was a closeout game. And Barkley was making the same point that sort of Mike had just made about, well, 
Game five was the game where there was no pressure, right? They're they're on the road. They weren't expected to win. There's no Kawhi, right? It's it's like go out there, just play free. If you win, you win. Like if you lose, you weren't supposed to win anyway. And, and so, what do you think about us? Game Six? Like, couldn't that have described us too? Like, those were our circumstances too. In in Game Six, for example, of the Lakers. Sorry, I don't don't mean to hijack that, but like it can go different ways. The other way that that can go is like well, we're not expected to win, win, and I've I can't wait to have some time off. No, that's totally true. I will say this about the Lakers. And so I run a website. I have not written about the Lakers sort of demise. And it's because every single time I've sat down to write a bunch of different times, but every single time that I've sat down, I just haven't put anything coherent together. I have so many different thoughts. But one of the thoughts I have is the thought that you just is relates to the point that you just made, Pete. And it's the idea that the entire year the Lakers were building towards this idea of can we just get through the season? Can we just get our guys healthy? Can we just, can we just, can we just get to that point? And it finally looked like they were turning a corner. And that right after months and months of no AD and then no LeBron and then LeBron's back, AD's not. Oh, we got Drummond. Well, well, Drummond's out. And so, oh, they're back. They're kind of not. Dennis is in health and safety protocols. Yeah. Everything, everything, everything that you just mentioned. They're up 2 1. And then Anthony Davis gets hurt again. And we talked about it on the pod about like how deflating that was. But as I've gotten further and further away from the Lakers series, my sense was, Pete, is in in relation to the point that you to the question that you just asked is that couldn't that have been the Lakers? I think it could have been the Lakers if everything wasn't built towards this idea of once we are healthy. I was we always talking about the importance of the present tense. Yes. Accomplishing something in today, even if it's like, yeah, game 22 of our back-to-back season where we definitely need to, but I was always bothered by that, exactly that concept, Mike, is that like, just you wait, just wait for us to get healthy and then things will be all right. And in a lot of ways, it was still true, right? Yes. It was it, still it's true. Not, it's, not a, it's not ideal, but if if the talent is overwhelming, it is true. So from a, and, from a and, coaching perspective, which is where you come from, where Darius comes from, it's not great. You know, like it's not what you want. It is the opposite of what Frank Vogel wanted to plan for. But, you know, could they have still won? Had AD not tweaked the groin? Yes, but of course it was far from ideal. It, and, and so what's the difference between a team that wins in that circumstance and a team that doesn't is that – if you do that work in the, which isn't say that's that's too reductive. That's to say that they didn't do work, right? But I felt like our mindset was so in that future tense that we didn't value today. The whole idea of chop wood, carry water, is to do the very simple, basic things that bring and sustain life in the present tense, and then that builds something bigger. Pete, I would argue though that they that this group did do that work. Is they were ramping up. Like that East Coast road trip when they were freaking playing hard and they mm-hmm. were getting after it and and Keith was stepping up and all of these guys every on any given night were sort of just like like 
we're going to do it and we're going to play hard and we're going to play for for each other. I think, though, that at some point it did switch within the guys on the team. And it was sort of just like once we get everyone back, that's when it's going to be go go time. And we started to see the seeds of that. I feel like early in that sun sun series. And then when it all went away with AD getting hurt again, it was sort of like, it was the ultimate everyone's played Jenga, right? Like it was the ultimate, you pulled out the one piece and then it all fell. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make one point bringing Paul George back into the situation and just kind of the, what we saw from the game tonight. And then we can connect the Lakers or not to it. But so he was 15 for 20. In game five, just hitting everything up to that point in the series, guys, game one through four, we just talked about, you know, the rhythm that he was in, et cetera. Well, he was only shooting 35%. Like that's Mm -hmm. really low. Here's the thing though. He, he took a minimum of 20 shots in each of those games. So he was, he's forced into, and that's the thing where he sometimes can, can slip a little bit when Kawhi is there, he was forced to be aggressive. And a lot of those shots are coming, uh, especially tonight, and I think this is, again, part of the difference of them going small, is that he had more opportunities at the rim where he was single covered, and he had more opportunities uh, on the perimeter where he was single covered because they couldn't stack the defense to one side, you know, because because Zubats wasn't in there just taking up space or bringing his guy up for a screen. So I just, I, I, it's not a critique of him and he gets his credit for tonight but his his playing as that lead guy you, you got to be you got to be shooting better than 35 percent typically to win a playoff series and that's why they were down 3-1 uh, at least to some extent so what i'm really curious about now is game six game seven what's the counter to this how does george play if the pressure comes back to the clippers in game six can chris paul figure something out can campaign suddenly get a little healthier so um, and, and maybe I just did that to distract myself from, again, going down the injury hell routes uh, in, of thinking about the <laughs> Lakers and just, again, uh, use my favorite term of bubble tax. Yes. So I think the point with PG shooting 35 percent in this series and and all of what you said there is that he's not quite a number one caliber guy in a conference finals type of scenario. That's okay. There's a lot of very good players in this league that aren't quite that guy. That group is very select. Um, Part of his shooting percentage is mitigated by the fact that he's gotten to the line a lot. He's done a wonderful job of using his physicality, but your point is taken, right? And he's missed some huge free throws. There are, you can have a great game and then miss two free throws at the wrong time. And a lot, in a lot of ways, that's what determines the game. But I think ultimately, uh, he has acquitted himself well in terms of how hard he's played, how he's competed. And while it's still flashing some of those like, who the hell are you inbounding the ball to? Or you just yeah. missed two free throws that it was clear that you were rattled afterward, right? And so that's the thing that's interesting about basketball to me. One of the many things is that all of those things are true. Uh, but I just wanted to properly give him his flowers on what I thought was a really remarkable performance tonight. The last thing I was going to say is that there's a lot of redemptive stories that I feel like need to that are going to play out over these last couple of games that Mike mm. just alluded to. Right. Like, I think the idea of what can Paul George do when the pressure starts to ramp up, because the pressure is going to shift, Mike. And um, at some point it is going to be, well, yeah, if we win this game, then it's game seven. Or, oh, well, we won this game, so now it is a game seven. 
that would be some incredible poetry too, right? The Clippers coming back from a 3-1 deficit would be quite the, considering how last season ended. That's the question is, can they Jedi mind trick themselves into the, oh no, you know, we're, we're coming from behind right now. This is, and and, and does Phoenix keep the pressure, right? Or does it, does any of it revert to, because that obviously played out for Denver last year. Yeah, my guess is they close it out in six. Phoenix does, uh, but I'm, I'm curious, where are you at on that, D? No, I'm very interested to see what's up with Chris Paul. And mm-hmm. like you you know we didn't get into it a lot in in this pod and I guess we'll see what happens in in game 6 because as long as the Suns season continues I'll be very interested to see sort of Chris Paul's fingerprints are so much on this Suns team but they lost a little bit of their verve when he came back. And and with campaign getting injured the way that he did, and and, and there is a deliberate there the, the the Suns are so deliberate now with with Chris Paul back in the mix, and a part of me feels like that is playing into the handsome of what the Clippers want them to be, and, and and so all of those redemptive stories when you talk about giving Paul George's flowers. I think that those are totally on point for how he played in 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 game five. But looking forward, I'm very much interested in seeing which one of these guys between sort of two sort of tortured souls now. Right. Chris Paul for much longer. But Paul George has some ghosts there, too, that, that he needs to exercise a little bit. And there's probably no player left in the league more than Chris Paul, who has more ghosts than, than him. So that's the sort of thing that I'm looking forward to in game six and then potentially game seven. I'll just piggyback on the Chris Paul point for my final thought here. Uh, guys, Chris Paul in the series before against uh, what was clearly a depleted Denver team, but nonetheless shot 62% from the field, right? Like the assisted turnover was insane. He had five turnovers for the whole series, um, 26 points. Like that was Chris Paul in his peak rhythm, then health and safety protocols. And he, he didn't play a game of basketball for 11 days um, up until game three. And now against the Clippers in three games, 31% from the field, you know, 18 points. He's already turned the ball over eight times in three games. So he's not himself. And I always try to play when we're thinking about Dennis Schroeder and he came back and he wasn't himself. And whether it's just the sheer f- fact of being out 11 days when all these other dudes are in full peak playoff conditioning, that's a, that's that's enough in its own right, whether you were sick or not um, throughout that spot. And mm-hmm. the same thing happened when Anthony Davis returned. LeBron yeah. is a different human being, a different species, so it's hard to quantify stuff like that with him because he just finds a way to be awesome, even if he's but not he healthy. Wasn't, he wasn't what he was normally capable of being either, right? He, he wasn't quite there, but he how- was – yeah. Right. Um, no, he can approximate it better than most, but this season has yeah, been ravaged. That's, that, that's that's the thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, but that, but that, that's my last. That's the thing to kick to you on this to, to kick to you, Pete, is because can like can two more days really make a difference? Can four more days if it has to be to game seven really make a difference? Shooter was starting to ramp up again. Um, right. Sure. Like when he so I do think that Chris will get better in even even if it's just a little bit. The whole key, though, is going to be that the start of the game. Uh, look at how they started game four. That was all Phoenix. Game five was all Clippers. So if it seesaws back, Phoenix should win the game. I, I just the thing that I would worry about if I were a Suns fan 
was this my my initial point about the small ball thing. And Pete, you made a good point against that. And in Phoenix, just like Anthony Davis did in game two, if they play with enough force, they should be able to mm-hmm. overcome that. But that's that's the thing that I would think about if I were the Suns. No, I think on on the court, that's the biggest storyline going forward is can they play small? Because Zoo's injury, if I mean, hopefully he plays in game six, but there's no guarantee of that. So anyway, very interesting game that I think plays into a lot of concepts that were in play for the Lakers this year. And it's it's always fascinating when a rival or an enemy or however you look at basketball performs well and you know how do you uh feel about that how do you react to that so for tonight uh credit to the clippers team for that that showed up tonight in one game five all right we'll be back tomorrow uh talk some lakers but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they will A lot of Laker fans staying around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.